Well, have a seat and God bless you. I have to just tuck this into my clip. Nothing's worse than these uh, these mics. I wasn't sure if it was on, <laughs> so I pulled it off. We are continuing our studies in the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. It is a book that uh, precedes the coming of our Messiah, and before, after the book is written, there's some 400 years of silence in which God does not speak to his prophets, or through his prophets again, uh, because they are awaiting their Messiah. And tonight, we are going to continue from chapter 1, looking at chapter 2, Taking heed, guard your spirit. Take heed and guard your spirit. So if you would mind, let's read from chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then as we work through, uh, we will pick up the other verses. But it says this, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I give them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have you ever had a warning given to you? When you were a kid, I'm sure if you think of when you were a kid, you can think, think of a lot of warnings your parents said. Don't go here, otherwise this will happen to you. Don't do that. Don't touch the stove, you will get burnt. You know, if you don't do your homework, then such and such. Warnings. And the Lord gave his people a warning in Malachi, he gave his priests a warning, but there was a problem. They were not listening. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord, then I will send a curse. That is a pretty strong word. Because when we look to God, we think of him as the Lord that would send blessings, the God of blessings, the God of love, the God of forgiveness. And he is speaking to his priests and he's saying to them, if you're not going to listen, that I'm going to send a curse. It makes you kind of stand up straight. 
Take heed, guard your heart. A little child may be told, don't play by the road, otherwise you might get hit by a car. So we're going to look at this Malachi chapter 2 and see what was happening with these priests. Why was God pronouncing this very warning over them? You see, because sometimes what happens to us, we get too busy in our life. We get too busy with what's going on. We get preoccupied. We get preoccupied with the, the difficulties that we're facing, perhaps the bills that need to be paid, the, the appointments we need to go to, the job we have to get done. And so sometimes when we are going about our life at the clip that we are going about, we are forgetting God because we're busy. And before we know it, the day has come to an end and we've barely opened his word. We've barely given thought to him. Matter of fact, the only time we called upon him in that day was in a time of need. Oh, God, don't let me. Oh, and, and, and we call upon him in our need more than we talk to him in our love and our dedication towards him. We hear so much from day to day. Day to day, there's constant static filling our ears, distracting us. And that's the enemy's antic. He wants to distract us so that we're not giving time to God and giving time to hear from him. Are you hearing God tonight? And are you believing him in what he is saying to you? Or perhaps are you in a place that sometimes you just feel as out of touch as these priests from Israel that we're going to look at? Last week, we saw that they were doubting God's love. He said, I have loved you. And they says, but how have you loved us? They doubted him when he himself, out of his own mouth, was declaring to them, I have loved you. You've loved us. How have you loved us? And then the Lord laid it out before them. If we love God as much as he deserves, then every area of our life, is going to reflect this love. Every area, every outflow that comes from us is going to reflect the God that we believe in, the God that we love. Everything that we do will, see, will be a signature that that person is different. That individual has, has a different morality about them. People will be able to detect something about us that is different because our upward relationship with God is what flows from our, our outward relation. Our outflow is, comes from our upward relationship with God. So therefore, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We can't give him part of us. He's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. So we look at Malachi chapter uh, 1 and just briefly I'm going to call out the verse and say the areas that the priest had not um, honored God and that we looked at last week just for the sake of picking up from where we left off. Verse 6 said that they had not honored God. They despised his name. Then verse 7 said that they put polluted food on the altar because it wasn't the best of the sacrifice. They did not give of their best, verse 8. Verse 12 said that they profaned the name of the Lord. And verse 13, they gave to the Lord from what they stole. 
This is what the priests were doing, and they were challenging God on how he loved them, but their reflection of their love towards him, their outflow was not of their best. Their outflow was what was left over. You know, I'll pay my bills, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of that, and then if I have anything left over, I'll give an offering to the Lord. I'll give a tithe to the Lord that perspective but we're told many times we need to heed god's word and listen to his warnings listening to god is more important than we give thought to if we were to take time to think and listen to god each day we would find our days would flow easier and would flow more successfully Jeremiah 26 verses 2 to 8 says this thus says the Lord stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that came to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak to them do not hold back a word it may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds you shall say to them thus says the lord if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that i have set before them before you and to listen to the words of my servants the prophets whom i send to you urgently though you have not listened then i will make this house like shiloh and i will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him saying, you shall die. All God was doing through the prophet Jeremiah was warning his people to listen, warning his people to do what was in his law. And that in doing what was in his law, they would find their days blessed. They would find their lives blessed. And they did not like to hear God's warning. Kind of like a, a, a child when you say to them, listen, I want you home by this hour. And if you're not going to be home from your friend's house by this hour, we're going to have dinner without you and you will miss your dinner. The kid, the, the child does not like that. The child will say, well, why do I have to always be home? My friends don't have to be home by that hour. Why do I have to be home? And they will challenge the parent on, on the warning. And these from Judah, they did not want to adhere to God's warning. They did not want to listen to what Jeremiah was speaking. But 1 John 4 and 6 says this, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those who know God are going to listen. Those who don't know God, they're not going to listen because they're going to see it as a restriction. They're going to see it as, as though they're missing out on something. People, that natural inclination of man to, to rebel against authority. 
But when you know God, you will want to obey. You will want to listen. Why? Because you know that God has your best interest at hand. And so he's there to guide and lead you through. So these verses make it clear that listening to God is important. And in Malachi chapter 2, the people were going to be placed under a curse if they did not listen. James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Oh, we hear the word, but we don't walk it out. Oh, we hear the message on a Sunday morning, but we don't live it out. That was really good message. But Monday morning, we have a problem walking in that message. Oh, that was really powerful this morning. But Tuesday, mm -mm 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 -mm, we already forgotten where the text was that the pastor spoke from. Why? Because we have a good time listening, but we have a hard time walking. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Our doer must keep up with our hearer. Partial obedience is still disobedience, you know. Sometimes we don't think of that. If we partially listen to God, and we don't fully listen to God, we're still in disobedience. If we only do half of what he asks us to do, we can't say to him, but Lord, I did this part. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It's the whole counsel of God. It's the whole word of God. It's the whole warning of God. So Malachi 2 that we just read, what did these priests fail to do? Verse 1 says they did not take the commands of the Lord to heart. When you read the word of God, are you taking it to heart? Are you saying, okay, Lord, I want you to, to make that real to me so that I could live it out. Verse 2 says they... They were to take the heart to commands of the Lord because why? They had not. Verse 6 and 7 says this. Their lips were for the preserving of knowledge and for men to glean knowledge from. But what happened? They did not do that. They, their lips were for people to gain knowledge from. But that's not what happened to to the people. Verse 6 says this, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. This is pertaining to the Levi priests. And he walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But but, and here's the problem, this is what they did. They turned aside from the way you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. So the main role of the priest was to teach people God's way so that they would know that they would grow in the knowledge of, of the Lord. And, and that they would know of the peace and the, the uprightness that comes from it. Exodus 19, oh, excuse me, um, verse 6 says that they were to teach the law and true instruction and walk out those teachings in their own life. If a priest is saying one thing with their mouth and they're not walking it out, are you going to follow their example? Any teacher that says one thing and does another has lost their students' respect. 
They, the students don't want to follow after that teacher. And this is what was happening with the priests. He was to guard knowledge because the people would come to him for instruction. They would come to him and say, what shall we do? They would come and ask for counsel, ask for guidance. And again, if the priest is going to give counsel, I know of some friends that um, have gone to uh, their confessionals. And they've been given instruction in their confessionals, but they know that their priest is not even doing that. If the priest is not, in, in this term is speaking of the priest, and I'm not speaking of the priest of the terms today, but that was just an example of some friends that have faced that they've gone to a confessional and they've been told they have to do these certain steps in order to receive the forgiveness that they were seeking. And all they needed to do was go to God. And say, Lord, forgive me because I've walked in the error of your way. But some of those priests that have been guiding them, this is the steps that you must take. And, and these are the things you must say. Themselves were not living the life honoring to God. Something was wrong with the priests. They were not walking out their role as God had instructed them. And what were the, what were the roles? Uh, Exodus 19 um, says this, the latter part of verse 3, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I've done to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God looks to us to be that priest, that holy nation. God was very strong within, with his expectations. Okay, verse 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread, spread dung on your faces, the dung from your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So what do we learn from these passages? These priests, again, were not listening. They were not taking to heart. Why? Because in Numbers chapter 25, if you go to verses 10 to 13, we find out that something had taken place in, in, the, in the people of the Lord. If we go to Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 to 13... And it, and it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of the 
perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Do you know what happened to these priests? What was going on? They were caught up in Baal worship. Okay, if you were to go to the beginning of chapter 25, while they were living in Shittim, the people became horrors with the, they, uh, began to horror with the daughters of the Moabs. And they began to have relations with them. And what ended up happening was they, they uh, even ate, uh, they partied with them, if you want to say, and, and ate from the, the sacrifices of their God. And it says this, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, verse 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. He was so upset with them for giving of themselves to these horrors. They, had, they, they were the priests of God, and they had participated in Baal worship and the worship of, of Peor. And God said, no, 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 there has to be a correction. Take them all. Take the, take the chiefs of all the people and hang them in the sun. Now, the sun at that time would have been very hot. But that was the correction that the Lord wanted to take upon them. And then what happened? One of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman, verse 6, to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. And while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent meeting, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose and he left the congregation. He took a spear and he drove it through the man and right through the woman. There was one of the individuals that took a woman into the tent meeting into the house of the Lord. And God is saying, no, this cannot be happening. This is, this is, this is not uh, my plan for my priests. And then out of it, because Phineas was so angered by it, his jealousy was for the Lord. He wanted to see that God would be honored. He saw that this was a dishonor to him. He took a spear and he killed this man and this woman right through to her belly. And immediately the plague that had hit Israel at that time immediately came to, this, to a stop. And there were those that died, and there was 24,000. And that's where we get the story where then the Lord said, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. And so from there came the covenant promise of peace that we just read about. The Lord's promise was for peace to the priest. And what were they doing? They were not adhering they were not listening to the lord's warning and so they corrupted the promise that was made the priest's lips should were to preserve the knowledge because he was a messenger they were to preserve the knowledge of the lord they were to bring the message to the people and these priests were not doing that the people were to go to the priest and, and seek the instruction. But what was happening? The, the priests were misguiding the people. And verse 8 says that they violated the covenant of Levi. They turned aside from the way they should have uh, lived 
the instruction that they were giving to the people, but instead the people were stumbling. We need to heed to what the Lord is saying. But you have turned aside, verse 8, from your way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the law of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. That law was for peace and righteousness, and they had corrupted it in the way that they were living. Malachi 2 and 10 goes into explaining it. As a result, they were leading the people. The people of Judah began to despise the priests. And they looked down on them for their actions and for their counsel because they weren't offering to them the, the, the knowledge that they were needing, the truth that God was asking them to give. What is the role of a shepherd? A shepherd is going to lead you in the path that you should go. The shepherd is going to lead you in the way. The shepherd is going to bring you to pastures where you could eat. The shepherd is going to make sure that your protection is well taken care of. And these priests were not acting as the shepherds of God that they were to act as, that they were to be and so then we go to Malachi chapter 2 and it says this verses 10 to 16 have we not all one father has not one God created us why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god you see we just read this they had involved themselves with the Moabites. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant did he not make them one with the portion of the spirit in their union and what was the one god was seeking and what was the one god seeking god godly offspring so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. So God exposes and condemns their betrayal. He exposes them for what they were doing, especially their betrayal in marriage. And he rebukes the priests of Israel for being deceptive in the way that they've been dealing things. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? It, it reminds me of when we, were le- when, when we were studying Philippians. And, it, and um, he, the, uh, the, Paul was saying to the, to the church, Listen, they're from the kingdom of God as well. Eurodia, I entreat you, Sintiki, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, 
true, uh, true as a true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's the same thing. They're serving God. They are believers. They are part of the family of God. And, and it's the same aspect that is being mentioned here in verse 10. Have we not all one father has not one God created us. So we're all serving God. And what are you doing? You're acting in a deceptive dealing. You're not dealing with them the way I would have you to deal with them. It's simply put that we've, uh, we're all made in the image of God. But we must respect and treat each other honorably. Not treacherously as some of the, the um, translations put it. You have dealt treacherously with them. Why do we deal treacherously with one another? Malachi applies this specifically to the marriage, but their sin of betrayal went beyond the unfaithfulness of marriage. The marriage was an illustration. Their unfaithfulness in the marriage was an illustration of something greater that he wanted to prove to them. The truth of the problem is that the priests were marrying foreign wives. And God had said that they were not to do this. And Judah had dealt treacherously. Now, by the, by the means of, of um, God is not a biased God. It wasn't a racial issue. It was an issue of faith. Verses 11 and 12 says, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of, of hosts. God speaks clearly what he feels about marriage, that marriage is holy. So when we, when we sin by breaking our marriage vows, we're sinning against God's holy plan. We don't get to say what marriage should look like. God ordained what marriage should look like in Genesis chapter 2, and it was to be between man and woman. And for what? For God, he says in chapter uh, 2, verses uh, 25 and 26, if we just went there quickly, it says that a man, oh geez, it says this. Um, then the man said, this, is a, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, verse 23, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God was the one who set up what marriage was, and marriage was to be between man and woman. And it was established by God. It was his idea. So therefore we can't dictate that it should be anything else or look any other way. So when we operate out of his plan for marriage and we go against the, the marriage plan, which is man and woman, we're actually not going against what a church says. We're going against what God has established. Okay? And God loves marriage. Contrary to what the world might think, God loves marriage. Why? Because it displays a reflection of his relationship with us. 
right? Because the two become one flesh. How would we become one flesh but by him? God loves marriage for the good that it does in society. Why? Because if there was not marriage between a man and a woman, there would not be the multiplication of people. There would only be two people, Adam and Eve. If, if, there, if, there wasn't, if, if God did not ordain that marriage was for the multiplication, there would only be two people. God loves marriage for the way that it meets the needs of men meets the needs of women and you know what it meets the needs of children because they have a covering they they are part of a family they have a protection likewise as children of god when we have our father god we have that protection marriage is a full description of what god's relationship is with us it was Marriage was a display of how he conforms us into his image. So Israel went against God's plan for marriage because they were what? Involved with intermarriage. They were not to become with one with daughters of, of the foreign gods, and yet they did. They became daughter, they became one with those of foreign gods like we just read in in numbers 25 they began to have sex with the moabite women these moabite women said hey come over to our sacrifice parties and and we'll get together and then they began to eat the food that were at those parties and they began to worship the gods of those women and this made the lord very angry and that's why he had to bring correction. And that's why he told Moses to, to tell the leaders that in broad daylight they were to execute these, these people. Because God does not look lightly when we disobey or disregard his law. His word is there for our instruction. It's there for our guidance. It's there for when we don't know what to do, we can go to the word and the Lord will show us what to do. When we don't know how we should handle a situation, we could be sure that there will be an illustration in God's word of how a situation like that was similarly handled. And so when we don't go to God's word as our form of instruction... We're not walking in that obedience. But Phineas did have the, that obedient heart. Phineas did have that heart that wanted to honor God. And when he saw that the people were going against his God, and especially when he heard that there was the sexual activity in the tent meeting, that infuriated him. And he began to take action. And that's how the blessing came that we just saw towards peace and righteousness. But this was a common tread in the word of God. Did not Solomon, who was wise? God said, ask me anything that you want. And what did he ask God for? Wisdom. But yet, he asked God for wisdom and still had difficulty in all of his wisdom in walking in obedience. Do me a favor. If you're going to ask God for wisdom, ask him for the obedience to walk out that wisdom. Because poor Solomon, and I shouldn't say poor because he was mighty rich. Solomon had all the wisdom, but he made stupid decisions. Because he had himself married with foreign women. You could read the story for yourself in 1 Kings chapter 11. 
You'll see the whole story there where he went and, and, and uh, gave himself to foreign women in marriage. Ahab. Well, we should remember Ahab. Didn't he marry Jezebel? What was Jezebel's problem? And all of her gods that, she, that uh, she was committed to. And what did she do? She led him astray. A foreign woman given to all her pagan gods. And as a result, Israel was led into the depths of t- depravity. Be careful if God's word says don't do it. Don't do it. Don't say, well, it's okay because, well, you know, Solomon got away with it so I could get away with it. You know that saying, stupid is, is what stupid does? It might not be the nicest thing to say, but again, Solomon prayed for wisdom, asked for wisdom. He received wisdom, but he didn't walk in the obedience that goes with the wisdom. And this is what was happening with our priests. They weren't walking in the instruction that they were asked to give. And it was misleading to the people. Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about not being unequally yoked. Not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. <laughs> kind of a funny story I was just a, a, a teenager and and I was um, if you want to say dating this guy we can't you can't even legitimately call it dating I went to his house he came to my house but he got in his head one day we both went to a Christian school and he went to one of the churches in the city and I went to another church in the city but we were two different denominations so he got in his head that we couldn't date because he was one denomination Baptist and I was Pentecostal that's not what Paul is saying. And this is the verse he quoted to me. That's okay. It was no big deal. We were barely even dating anyway. So it doesn't even matter. But I find it funny when I read this verse because it's not even what Paul was saying. He's talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You see, that was what happened to Solomon. He got in with lawlessness. That's what happened to Ahab. He got in with lawlessness. That's what happened when Israel went against God's plan. Lawlessness entered into their land. So verse 15, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be what? Separate from them. Separate from them says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I will be there, be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So verse 12 of Malachi 2, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of man, of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. He, the Lord promised that he would punish the priests who married foreign women, who married pagan wives. 
and thought that it would not affect their service to the Lord. It says, that's it, there will be a punishment to them. Now in saying this, just an, an added notion here, Paul also says in the word of God about remaining with your spouse, if your spouse is an unbeliever, least through your witness that they would become a believer. Okay, so when we're talking about divorce, we don't want to miss that and say, oh, well, you know what, I got to divorce you now because you're, you're an unbeliever. If you entered into a vow of, of covenant with the Lord, you must remain with that person with, with, um, with the Lord's blessing that they would come to the kingdom of God, okay? So I don't, wanna, I don't want to be misleading of you. But the Lord said that he would promise to punish the priests if they married foreign and pagan wives and think that this would not affect their service. It was not a racial issue, like I said. It was a faith issue. Ruth... When she married a Moabite, you know what she, Ruth the Moabite, when she married, it, um, her hus, uh, married Boaz, she forsook her Moabite gods. She forsook them. Right? When she chose to go home with Naomi, she forsook her Moabite. Do you notice that Naomi became that mother figure to her? We never heard of Ruth's, Ruth's mother through the rest of the, the book. Of Ruth. Not once did we ever hear of her family that she left back home. She completely forsook that religion that she had been following. Verses 13 of chapter 2 on to 16, it says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he... I've lost myself. You cover the Lord's offering with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking, godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So here's the problem. They filled the altar, the place of worship, with all their whinings and groanings. Oh, Lord, you're not answering our prayers. Oh, Lord, and they're whining before the Lord. And he's saying, you are not even serving me the way I have set forth for you to serve. And you're going to whine, acting as if it's okay for them to behave the way that they've been behaving. Acting as though it's okay for them to be with the foreign wives after they have made a covenant with God of the wife of their youth. God wants them to remind them, listen, I'm the author and maker of marriage. You're not the author and maker. So guard yourselves. Don't be faithful. Don't cheat on your spouse. God says, I don't want you offering anything i don't want an offering i want oneness i want unity i want you to be together in spirit 
God's fundamental plan for marriage is oneness between husband and wife. Why? So that we could then raise children, so that we could display that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, though they are three separate entities, are all one. Everything about us will flow the, uh, from the reflection of who Christ is in us, who God is in us. And so if our marriage doesn't display that unity and that oneness, then we must not be displaying who God is. We must not be in right relationship with God. We must not, if, if our outward flow is not reflecting what God is and who God is, then there's something wrong with our relationship with God. If my life is not displaying God to you, then there's something wrong with my relationship with God. If my life is not walking in that forgiveness, then there's something wrong with my relationship with God. If, there, if my life is not displaying joy, if my life is not displaying the characteristics of who God is, then there's something wrong with my relationship with God. Dis divorce will destroy what God loves. And we said what God loves pertaining to marriage. But he doesn't like divorce because why? Divorce breaks that vow. Divorce becomes harmful to the, to the unit of, uh, of, of unity. And divorce... It illustrates that, you know what? There's a rebellion in there towards God's ways and God's house. First Corinthians, uh, no, excuse me, verse 16 says that he covers his garment with violence. Why? Because in the biblical days, when a man would take a woman, he would cover her with his garment. That signified to the woman that he would be her covering. He would be that, that covering of love towards her. He would be that covering of protection. And so now when you have defiled your marriage and you have gone and you have uh, become with these foreign women and you've become a part of their foreign ways... You have brought a violence onto that garment. The marriage ceremony in the Bible, times, like I said, he became that covering. Now he defiled that covering. Now those, those, those garments did no longer displayed the covering of God over that marriage. So guard yourself, guard your spirit. Don't become faithless. Don't find yourself going after the foreign things, but remain faithful to God. So what is, how can we bring the two together? Why would God insert the, the divorce and marriage right there in the smack dab of talking about the priests and how they were not honoring God? It's because he's wanting to display to us our relationship. The, the priests were to live in covenant, in a covenant life. Marriage is a covenant, a solid binding agreement between man and woman and God. The, the priests were to live in a covenant life and peace. Instead, what did they do? They corrupted that covenant. They were to offer true instruction. Instead, what did they do? They showed partiality in their, in their instruction, according to verse 9. They were to turn many from iniquity. Instead, what did they do? They caused many to stumble. Do we not see that happening now today in the world? That some people are going to, to their priests, to their ministers for counsel, and instead of being led in the way of God's word, 
they are stumbling. How many pastors and preachers and, and are, are stumbling in their walk before the Lord? We hear of it in just adjacent communities where churches are under investigation for things that have gone on corruptly in, in their house. And what's, what's it doing to the people in their midst? It's causing confusion. Because instead of the priests leaving by example, the ministers leaving by example, the people are beginning to wonder. There are some churches just, uh, if we were to say 45 minutes away, 30 minutes away, where staff are under investigation for maybe sexual misconduct. What does that do to the people? It brings confusion. It bring, if the ministers are doing this and they're preaching from their pulpit that we're not to do it, what's wrong? It brings confusion. And God is saying, no, this is not the type of priest that I want. Take it to heart, give honor to my name. Live a life that's going to be accountable. I'm going to rebuke your, your offspring. I will spread dung. They were to walk in peace and uprightness before the Lord. They were to provide counsel, but they weren't doing these things. What did Judah do? What was Judah guilty of doing when we compare the, the, uh, the divorce portion of the scriptures from verses 10 to 16? They profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. They married daughters of foreign gods. They dealt treacherously with the wife of their youth. And they said evil was good in the Lord's sight. If you're going to bring a, an offering to the altar and you're going to go on and, and live your merry way and you're, and, and you're not honoring God, he would rather not that offering come. The priests like Judah lived as they wished. And they still expected the blessings of the Lord. And is that not what we do today? God bless me. God bless me. God bless me while we just go on our merry way. Without living according to the word of God. They wept. They moaned. Because they didn't think that the Lord accepted their offerings. How many people day in, day out. Weep and weep. Why aren't the blessings coming to me? But they were guilty of living that sinful life. Some people are willing to make offerings to God, but they aren't willing to repent and live the way he asks us to live. And that's sad. We have to live according to the word of God, right? If he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So what consumes your daily, your daily concerns? How, how is this even relatable to you and I? Well, they were guilty of going with foreign women. But what have you made a God in your life? You see, we can look at chapter 2 of Malachi and feel like there's nothing relatable here for us. Oh, well, you know, I'm not even married yet. Or, oh, no, I'm married, but I've been with my spouse for X amount of time. And, and so we feel like nothing of this is personal. Oh, well, I'm not a pastor anyway, so this doesn't pertain to me. What? Do you know what? If you were to consider that scripture that we read in, in Exodus, where he said that they would be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, did not Peter say that? Was that not quoted in Peter, that you would be a royal priesthood set apart? 
put away all malice. He says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That's what, that's what Peter was saying to us, that we are that holy nation. So if, if you think that chapter 2 is hard to read and it's boring and it makes no sense, guess what? You insert yourself as that priest, and guess what? You're supposed to be that form of instruction to the people that are in your sphere of influence. Why? Because when Jesus left and he imparted to his disciples that great commission, and he says, therefore, go... Make disciples of all nations, what? Teaching them, teaching them to observe what? All that I've commanded. How could you do that? Because you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You have been set apart. So you are in this case, if you want to do, you could insert yourself here and say, okay, as I'm teaching people to observe the law of the word of the Lord, then I'm supposed to live as that priest. I'm supposed to live my life set apart. I'm supposed to live my, my life according to the counsel of God's word. I'm, I'm not supposed to commit adultery in my spiritual life by giving of myself to other gods. What would those other gods be? Maybe you watch TV too much. Maybe you're given to movies. Maybe you're given to soap operas or journals or reading books or something that deviates your attention from God and puts your focus on other things. And days are rolling into days and rolling into weeks and rolling into months. And you haven't given of your time to God. No, we can look at this and as, and as difficult or as boring or, as, or as, as much as you can feel like you're plowing through. This isn't even irrelevant. Can't wait to finish this. Okay, go on to the next thing. Put yourself as that priesthood. And put yourself and say, okay, Lord, who's in my sphere of influence? Who could I lead in instruction? Who could I be that example of who you are in oneness? Who could I be in that example of who you are in love and forgiveness? Lord, how could I lead people and give people the right counsel of your way and of your truth? And, and by this, you can be that royal priesthood set apart. Now you are God's people. Now you have received mercy, Peter went on to say. So it's our responsibility to take Malachi chapter 2 and say, Okay, Lord, with my life, may I be a priest that will bring glory to your name. Lord, with my life, may, may my life represent one that is walking in covenant with you one that is sold out to you in love. That, Lord, I will not allow anything to bring a divorce in my relationship with you. That, Lord, I will not be that adulterous child that, that will allow other things to come in and take my attention from you. In that way, when you take Malachi chapter 2 and you apply it to that way, then you know what? Then you'll be able to say, Oh, I get something out of this. So you know what, Lord? Help me guard my help myself. Help me guard my spirit and let me walk in your faithfulness. Lord, may I take heed to your word to guard my spirit. Lord, may I take heed to your word to walk in your way. 
Father God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that sometimes even in the midst of difficult um, passages that we don't fully understand every detail, that Lord, in the multitude of verses and, and looking here and looking there to illustrate, Lord, may we get the true essence of what you're saying that we're to live for your glory, that, Lord, we are to display to others who you are, that, Lord, we're to walk in covenant with you, not letting any distractions or distractions come in, O oh God, to deviate our focus from you. And, Lord, as we opened up, may we heed, may we hear what you have to say and not be as those that we read in Jeremiah, those like Judah, that when the word of the Lord was proclaimed to him, to them, they said to the prophet, you shall die. Oh Lord, may we not speak death over any words of warning that you've declared over us. And Lord, may we walk in the counsel of your truth, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.